Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 7th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So I can finally tell a worried Anti-Up nation that I am finally healthy. No, you're not. You're lying to us. No, I'm healthy, and I even had an appointment with an ENT this week to make sure. You know, he sticks the camera up your nose, down your throat, and everything. And I wouldn't know I'm healthy, but yeah, uh, but uh, (laughs) uh, it's first time it's ever happened to me. It was the weirdest thing. But um, you know how they do that little chit chat with you, either beforehand or afterhand, when when it's all done. And uh, he's, they ask what you do for a living. Because the first time I ever met this doctor, I, I don't have a need for an ENT very rarely in my life. So this is the first time I actually – actually, the second time I went to one. I went to one a long time ago for my ear. But um, he starts talking to me. He's like, what do you do for a living? And I tell him. And he's like, oh, poker. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, don't they have like a, a really big championship out there in Vegas? And I'm like – Yes, they do. It's called the World Series. And he said, so, so people come from all over the world to play in this? And I said, yes, they do. And he goes, and, and how much how much do they win when they win the World Series? And I'm like, well, the main event, you know, guys usually win somewhere between like, you know, 6 and 12 million. It just depends on how many enter. And he's like, he's like, but why would you enter when you know the pros are going to win? And I said, well, that's not necessarily true. And he's like, no. Don't, don't don't they get rankings? Don't they get an easier path to the final table? And and then he he started going on and on about you know like uh, thinking that there's a lot of luck involved and so then you know you go to that mandatory you go to your your sort of boilerplate speech of how it's not luck and it's skill but on any hand there's luck and and it, it just it always fascinates me. I mean this was a guy who. You know, went through college, obviously, and then went through medical school, and usually kind of envision these guys, you know, somewhere along the line, learn how to play poker and know what beats what and stuff. You know what I mean? And it's just remarkable to me that you know, this guy had to be older than me, so he had to be in his fifties or sixties, and just it's it's so odd to me to live in America and to not even know like how poker works, especially with the <laughs> boom and everything. You know, and, and everyone knew about poker at one point. It seemed it was a household name, and it just it just surprises me. Do you, do you still get surprised by that, or do you still encounter people who are like, "Yeah, I really have no idea how that works, but I'm fascinated by it." Tell me. Well, I will say, uh, it the is as more information the world is out now. You know, we're just bombarded with stuff now. You know, yeah. online, all the different ways people get information. Uh, one of the things that I think. Uh, well, one of the things I know has happened and one of the things that probably worries me a little bit is that we become a little more insulated, right? 
Right. You, you would think it'd be the opposite. You would think with like all this information out there, we would all be the, the smartest generation in the history of the world, right? Right. But it makes it so much easier for us to become so much narrower on the couple things that we like and not expose ourselves to um, things that we don't know. In fact, actually, I posted on Facebook the other day when I got home from my trip. Uh, the, and <laughs> the newspaper was already there when we got home from the Red and I. And then, of course, everybody's like, ah, newspaper. What's a newspaper? Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, I get it. All right, it's fine. But, you know, the era of the newspaper is gone now. So that means the era of browsing and learning new things and that you don't know about is also gone. And now it's, you know, everybody's got their own little news sites to tell them exactly what they want to hear, right? So, yeah. um, so that's a long way of saying that it actually doesn't surprise me, um, uh, that kind of stuff anymore, that... You know, it, it's funny. I, I I do get some people that mention that and don't know what it is, or oh, in Poker Magazine. Oh, I love playing blackjack. I'm like, okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> not not really what I do, but I, you, you found something that's similar. So I get it. All right, good job. Um, but yeah, so I I guess I'm not as surprised. I mean, but uh, but but I agree with you that we probably should be surprised. I mean, it's not like some kind of a uh, you know new random video game that you had to be a kid right now to know i mean it's poker it's been around the entire existence of everybody on the planet so um and you know everybody probably knows somebody had a home game or their mom or dad or grandma or somebody like that so yeah. it is it is somewhat surprising <laughs> but i i think as we go forward it's going to become less surprising that uh that people just uh don't know about anything anymore <laughs> things that they're really interested in that's a really good point i mean I, I, I took for granted you know he was older than me and you just think about you know you're in college you play cards or you're you know you're you're a guy and you're sitting around with your guy friends playing poker and that's i'm not trying to be sexist or whatever and i'm just when i was younger that's what we did we just we sat around and thought of things to do or we watched our parents do something and you'd think that at some point in his life he would have come across how to play cards or whatever but he he just he he kept asking questions about it you know which was many was curious so i thought man you know you find you had to have heard the term poker at some point in your life and you're so curious when you heard it from me but i guess he's just trying to make me feel comfortable you know what i mean um and then he gave me a clean bill of health so i was happy so he, he could well, be as ignorant as he wanted it's also a little awkward to i mean i think those professions they kind of force you to be social with your patients right yeah because you're in, trapped in this little tiny room with them and and often uh, maybe not your case, but you know, depending on other things, you know, the, the patient's a little nervous and you know, obviously not feeling well or whatever. So I'm sure they probably teach you that in doctor and dentist school to, you know, yeah, have yeah. a conversation that makes people a little bit. And then, so what's the easiest thing to ask for? Ask about the weather and uh, yeah, what you're ruling. Yeah. So, and then after that, then you have to you have to be able to improvise and, and, and move on. And uh, you know, not everybody's built that way. Some people were built to be good medical doctors and not good conversationalists. Right? I should have just said something that was shocked. I'm like, oh, I'm a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me about that. You know, I put all my money in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, a little uh, sad news here today. The godfather of Norwegian poker, uh, Thor Hansen, has lost the battle of terminal cancer this week uh, he was 71 and uh, I tell you I meant to do a little research today and I forgot because um, I know he's been on the uh, Hall of Fame ballot uh, has, was he ever inducted or not no I don't think you ever got in I, I don't remember him getting in I don't 
I, as far as I could tell, plus I read like a couple of profiles on him recently, and uh, none of them said he was inducted. So I, I don't think he actually ever got in. He might have been one of the ones that fell off the ballot and might get back on, but I don't think he was in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he was on the ballot for quite a while, I know, it seemed like, because he was always, you know, uh, not to take it away from him, but on to what we talk about. But every, every year when we have the Hall of Fame discussion, right, it's, you know, partly what I say is somebody has done well for their country, and obviously he is the, probably the patriarch of poker in Norway, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, they, he, I mean, everyone there totally respects him. He, the thing about him, he was he was winning bracelets before poker was even a thing around. You know what I mean? He was he was just that he's been around that long. He was that good, and you know he was winning them. Uh, I think in '99, and I think in early 2000s he won his second bracelet. So I mean, the thing about him was what what how he got famous was he made that. Well, he, he actually, you know, when when the World Series uh, started to get popular, uh, when they had hole cams and stuff, they were actually covering him more often than people give credit to because he he was one of the legends and back then that's what they liked to do in the coverage they would like to go to the people who were legends so they would inform the public on who's important and stuff so he got some more coverage than than people probably remember but his first bracelet was like 88 uh and then i think he won another one in 2002 um yeah, last one. Yep. yeah. but um uh what i remember uh, about thor was the the, the run at the the 50k uh, right back when exactly. Deeb won, yeah, Deeb won it, and he he made a run then, and and then uh, you know he in 2012 is when he got the diagnosis of, of the cancer. So he'd been fighting this for a long time. That's a that's a long run for a terrible yeah. that incredibly impressive that he he turned. I guess he was given three months to live or something. He turned that into six years. So um, I I just. Uh, I whenever everybody says something like uh, oh uh, thank God and I'm like which God Thor because I I thank Thor all the time when I get uh, you know I get a big hand in poker and they're like what are you talking about I'm like never mind <laughs> they don't get it you know <laughs> but that's why I was thinking of Thor Hansen I mean that's like the ultimate uh, uh, scando name you know he's uh, he was a he was a great guy uh, even when the, the, the interviews or when they talk to him. Um, not when I talked to him because I never talked to him. But when you when you see people talk to him and stuff, he was just a really, really nice guy, and everybody had nothing but great things to say about him. And uh, you know, a lot of the people who grew up in his area too, they just idolized him. And it's a shame that um, that it ended this way. But uh, he he made his Im- impact. I tell you what, on, on poker, especially in his area. Well, I'll tell you this too. I mean, no one obviously um, uh, celebrates death, uh, so I don't want it to sound like this. But you know, yesterday I watched the entire uh, funeral for for President Bush, which was really, really moving. You know, regardless of what your politics are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of what makes it moving is it takes you back to another time and reminds you of people maybe you forgot or or you learned stories that you haven't, right? Um, right. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and so a part of you know this the Thor Hansen thing was you know reading about. You know him playing with Doyle and Chip and, and Bobby Baldwin, right? And then uh, the, this great moment here where he said he invited Stu Unger to come out to L.A. to play uh, play cash games at the Hustler with them and um, uh, staked them ten thousand. And uh, <laughs> Stu Unger ran it up to two hundred thousand. Jeez, quickly, which is amazing. Uh, so now, now you're now um, you know Thor's death makes you realize again the genius of Stu Unger, right? And uh, and then part of that story that's really powerful was that two weeks later is when uh, Stu Unger died. Yeah. So 
you know, this was at the end of his life when he was having some trouble and he still had friends willing to stake him. And then he still had it at the top of his game. Right. So, um, so it's just interesting to think of how different people, um, weaved into each other's lives. So, you know, passings are always, are always tough, but they're also an opportunity to, um, sort of remember some good times and learn some new stuff as well too. Yeah. Um, and that first bracelet of his too, his final table had Gabe Kaplan and Jack McClellan at it. So, yeah, that's when uh, they were the only three guys who went to tournaments <laughs> thirty years ago. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it was like those three guys and like ten other guys, and that was it for all. You know. and, and here's the funny thing about that: so thirty years ago, right? Uh, World Series still downtown at the Horseshoe, um, and uh, so his bracelet was in a five thousand dollar buy-in. So think about that: five thousand dollars and eighty-eight versus yeah. what five dollars is now, right? Yeah. Um, and his winner winner share was one hundred and fifty-eight thousand back then. I actually kind of want to go and see what the winner share of the five thousand stud event now is. Now I probably would be surprised if it is one hundred fifty-eight thousand. So yeah, that's a good point. Let me see. I could probably look it up over. Um, which you know, if I'm right on that, I mean that just shows how much more popular stud was back then than it is now. Or if I'm wrong, then it makes me look just like the idiot that you all know I am. But I mean, it's just because the game is faded now. Exactly. You know, and so no one, no one plays it but let me see i, I think i have this I have it up here let's see the and even the second bracelet was induced to seven a 1500 buy-in and sixty-two thousand on top so well there's a good all right so the, the 1500 event for the deuce to seven this this year paid 87 grand okay so that's a little bit bigger than it yeah because that's but i'm still trying to find the 5k stud if there is one I'm pretty sure there is one. All right, let's see. I'm almost there, so I'm not trying to make it boring reading. Yes, sir. So. Scott, tell us a story about how you wore an, an ugly costume this week. <laughs> it was a beautiful costume. I had fake ears. I looked like a real owl. <laughs> Man, there's... Oh, I did see that. I saw that on Facebook. You were wearing that on Facebook. Um, You know what? I don't see one. Yeah. I don't see a 5K stud. Well, no one can say we don't prepare for our shows, right? <laughs> well, we, we ha- you know, it's not that you're, you're prepared. You have an idea. We start talking on a tangent, and then you want to, you know, people are going to be like, don't you know the answer? So I tried to find it for him, but there's a 5K oh. no limit. Yeah, I wonder if they've gone to, like, 10K for the stud and then 1500s or 2500s. Yeah, now. that's that's what 5K. it looks like. Cause here's, all right, so here's a 1500 stud, and it paid 105 grand. So if you oh, okay. tripled that, oh. it would have been way more than 100 and something. Way more than so. All right, yeah. so good. So so we'll go back to the thinking I'm stupid. That's fine. Great. <laughs> well, we never strayed from that anyway, Scott. I don't know why I think we had to go back to it. <laughs> we only just confirmed it. Uh, all right, so the last thing I'll say about this is also kind of amazing is, you know, you would think of somebody that's just like the, the godfather of not just Norwegian poker, but they say Scandinavian poker, right? Right. And then you get to the end of the, the story. He's uh, third in the all-time Norwegian money list. I'm like, wow, who could be uh, in front of him? All right, Felix, uh, Vincent, Stevenson, I don't know who that is. And then Annette Oberstrat is next, right. who is, you know, she she probably wasn't even born yet when he was diagnosed with cancer, right? So, yeah. And she's just had such a meteoric uh, uh, career now that uh, she, she she's eclipsed him in tournament winnings. But well, she was born in <laughs> 2012, but yeah. <laughs> Got a six-year-old out there dominating the circuit. Well, she probably was at six. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have to admit, I don't know who Felix Stevenson is. Well, now our Norwegian fans are all upset at us. Probably. Sorry about that. Don't know. We might have won one one really big tournament or something. I don't know. But 
Yeah, uh, it's such a shame. A uh, sad loss. Um, but, you know, <coughs> we've got to move on. All right, well, I have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about this next item here, I think. So, uh, poker player Rich Alotti has confined himself to a pitch black room, and if he can stay there for 30 days, he'll win $100,000 from Australian player Rory Young. Uh, Alotti has no access to light, electronic communication, or human interaction, but he has a yoga mat, enough room to exercise, and six days of food, water, and vitamins are being delivered at random intervals. Uh, Alotti asks uh, for a no odds on the bet, so he'll lose 100000 if he can't complete the bet. Uh, even among poker players who have been known for outlandish uh, uh, yeah, prop bets, some are concerned this one went too far and a lot could suffer permanent damage. So before we start talking about all that, I think this is an interesting uh, segue into what you talked about, about people not knowing about poker or how poker transcends uh, other conversations. So yeah, yeah. not that I'm stepping out on you, but uh, on Tuesday nights now, we're starting a new thing at my, my local pub called uh, Pipes and Pints. And uh, we sit around out front and smoke pipes and just uh, drink beer and wax on about interesting things, right? Yeah, make sure you, make sure you keep that life insurance policy up to date for me, will you? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I think we're going to turn it into a uh, YouTube show or uh, another podcast. But anyhow, so it was our first night the other night, and we we're just sitting there BSing. We hadn't actually started a show or anything. But uh, but I bring up, I brought up this, and I'm like, you know, hey, you know, on our show this week, we're going to talk about this uh, this prop bet. And Chris, we talked about this for 45 minutes, like five of us just sitting outside the pub talking about this prop bet. Wow. And I thought it was really fascinating that um, as much as, and I know our listeners probably know that I'm not that I'm a, a opponent of these prop bets because my personality kind of loves this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I just wish it wasn't poker players doing them because it makes us look like we don't value money, right? Which is part of the the, the black mark we have against us against people that don't know poker or okay. don't just about poker to be dangerous. So, um, but here's a scenario where, you know, actually it was kind of cool that, uh, I brought a poker discussion and a bunch of people jumped on it and literally 45 minutes talking about this. Am I supposed to say something now? I know. So the only thing I'll say. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you. I just want sure. Plus, uh, is that a cat purring I hear in the background or is like a really big truck driving by? <laughs> uh, actually, well, that was a truck. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know what that noise there was. was. A cat. She's just not purring yet. <laughs> No, I'll let you go on. Go ahead and talk about the bet. And we'll uh, talk no, about so, so the one thing, uh, and we'll talk about the, the bet here in a minute, but one, <laughs> one thing is one of the women outside the pub we were talking to, she was adamant, Chris. She was adamant she could do this. And one of the things that we, we kept mentioning was what makes this so difficult and uh, damaging, you know, which I think is a real concern here, right, is that you have no concept of time now, right? Right. When it's completely pitch dark, and uh, they actually, uh, the delivery of food, they randomized it, right? So you can't figure out, you know, all oh, the food's here, so it must be 8 o'clock in the morning, right? Right. So you have no concept of time, and this one woman was adamant that she would know, she could keep track of time, and she would know exactly when it's 30 days. Oh, no way. Exactly, right? So they were all like, oh! And we're like, she's like, no, I can count, I'm pretty good at counting. I'm like, all right, what are you going to do when you fall asleep? I can count. What the hell does that mean? I can count. So the thing is, all right, I don't care how good of a counter you are, all right? And unless you're, you're freaking Rain Man, you're not going to be able to count seconds properly, right? But, you know, so at some point you're going to sleep in 30 days, right? So when you fall asleep, one, I'd be amazed if you could wake up and remember where your count was. And then two, the only way that could work 
correct me if I'm wrong, is that you would have to train your body to sleep exactly the same amount of time every time. It's just there's just no way. There's just zero way for you to know how long you've been in that room. If you have no electronic communication, you have nothing in your room, no access to anything that like tells you what time it is, like a watch or a clock, there is no chance in hell that you can possibly know how long you've been in there. There is no way. No way. Well, Plus, the other thing too is you can't write anything down. I mean, this is not. It's like. Like Castaway with Tom Hanks, right? I mean, there's no, you don't have a pen in there, and even if you have a pen, you can't see it. Yeah, there's no chance in hell that somebody could keep track of time. No way. And even, even if you could keep track of time, what does that even matter? People go insane when they go in the hole in prison, and that's exactly. not in pure dark. And you know what I mean? There's still a guard coming by every day bringing you three squares and stuff, so you kind of have an idea what's going on, and you fall asleep and you wake up because of the ringing of the bell and all that. This is, you're just in a room of darkness for 30 days? You will go insane. I am going to be on, uh, the, I'm going to say that this guy is not going to do it, that he's not doing it. Yeah, apparently he's in the middle of it. I tried to research some more to see whether he, he bailed out or not, but, um, uh, you know, but here's the thing. I don't think you can win this bet, right? Let's say he does survive 30 days, comes out, gets his 100000 You know, I, I agree with these people. I'm like, uh, you, you're going to be messed up. Yeah. And maybe it's temporarily messed up, but you're going to be messed up. And you have a good chance of being permanently messed up. I mean, your body is – your body tells you what time it is, right? I mean, that's why you have night and day. And so, yeah, the light comes out. You don't know whether it's 8 a.m., 7 a.m., or 6 a.m., but you know it's somewhere in that range, right? Yeah. And your body's telling you that, and then you naturally get up and go out and try to be a productive human being. And then when it gets dark, you don't know whether it's 7 p.m., 8 p.m., or 9 p.m., but you kind of know it's somewhere in there, and then your body tells you to go to bed, right? Unbelievable. So for 30 days, if, if your your body's just going to be completely messed up on that, you'll walk out and... So the other interesting discussion, then they brought up, somebody brought up, what about Helen Keller? She was blind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my man. gosh, you guys, you're killing me. Oh, these people. We're going to need more pipes and pints out here, folks. <laughs> it's not just about the darkness. It's about the the interaction and uh, everything else. So, Excuse me, server, can you bring uh, another 40 IQ points to the people outside <laughs> smoking and drinking? I mean, I think that sight is the reason why this guy is not gonna is gonna you know be able to do it because because people who are blind can live thirty days being blind. I, that is the most ridiculous argument. I've, what is where what is this is why you you are, you are literally now telling the entire Andy Up Nation why drinking and smoking are bad things. <laughs> no, I'm telling the insider Andy Up Nation why you should have friends that drink and smoke because then it makes you feel smarter. <laughs> This is why I never did any of those things, because I get to sit around and feel like I'm a genius when I get around people who are just sitting there getting high and drunk. I mean, oh, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Are we actually going to follow this story? Are we going to try to report on it? Oh, yeah. I, I, I hope somebody uh, – continue- I'm sure somebody will report what's going on with this eventually when it's over. But uh, but it, a lot of the stuff is fascinating. One, these players didn't know each other. They just happened to – one was – Sitting at an empty table with forty thousand in front of him, the other one sat down and and started playing with him, and they struck up a friendship during and talking about stuff and you know asking questions. What would you do? Um, and then it ended up in this, and the, the poor guy got no odds, right? So like you would yeah. think 
usually the person that has to put themselves through hell here gets pretty good odds, right? So if they fail, then it's not that terrible, but uh, if they succeed, there's a good reward for it. Um, and, uh, you know, they asked the player that, that booked the action whether he feels guilty about putting somebody into what a lot of people are saying is a really damaging yeah. situation. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, I thought about that for a little bit, but, you know, he's an adult. He studied it. He knew what he wanted to do. And so yeah, part of me can't complain about that, right? You know, but um, but they, they actually built this room in his house. Oh, wow. And some came over and they built in a wing of his house where they could make it dark enough, but big enough that he could walk around. And, you know, I'd love to see the like the little lazy susan or trap door or whatever they put the food in and swing it around or <laughs> you know, and now i'm curious about the kind of food and stuff right i'm glad there's water and vitamins that's great but you know is it always cold food is it warm food is it warm food and it's they they give you six day he always has six days of of it so i guess maybe you could work some warm food in there sometime but that would be the killer for me man i can't eat gas station sandwiches for 30 days can you well that's the thing is that I, they don't give them a fridge or anything apparently because unless they might give them a fridge and stuff they might give them well, a you stove have a fridge, you have a light yeah that's true you have a light so i mean it, it's got to be all stuff like uh boxed food that processed that can stay on the shelves without going bad for a few days so it's got to be all room temperature food it can't be anything that's warm or cold Oh man! Be, I mean, you'd have to remember where the food is and the water is. And what if you like drop a bottle of water, rolls around? Then you got to spend all day trying to find the water. I mean, and then you don't even know what you're eating because uh, the food is in a box or something. You're like, put your hand in. You're hoping for like, you know, goldfish crackers, and you pull out a hand of dried up bacon bits. I mean, I have no idea what the hell you're yeah, gonna. It's eat. like those uh, Halloween haunted houses when you stick your hand into the <laughs> yes. grease, like their eyeballs, right? Yes, you got your hand in spaghettios, and you think it's uh, you know. But, uh, yeah, I don't see this guy surviving. I just don't. I mean, if he does, it's remarkable. But then they should do, like, a documentary on what his life is like after that because he's going to yeah. be screwed up, man. Wow. All right, any updates? Foxwoods Resort Casino in Connecticut, Firekeepers Casino Hotel in Michigan, Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in North Carolina, Inn of the Mountain Gods Resort and Casino in New Mexico, Rivers Casino Schenectady in New York, Miami Poker Society in Florida, Shark Tank Poker Club in Ohio, Heartland Poker Tour slash Ameristar East Chicago in Indiana, and Jackson Rancheria Casino Resort and Pechanga Resort and Casino in California are the latest poker venues to join our next Restock the Shells Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics this January. Please see antiopmagazine.com slash restock for details on all events and how you get involved to make a difference in your community. Jackson Rancheria Casino Resort in California is getting an early start on restock by giving players additional units for donating food in all Saturday, Sunday, and Monday tournaments in December. Get 500 bonus units up to a maximum of 2,000 for each food item you donate in any tournament from December 8th to the 31st. Uh, and here's where the Antioch Poker Tour is going next. Viquiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, March 23rd to 31st. Antioch World Championship and Antioch NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California in July. And Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino also near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th. Very exciting stuff. Hey, you know what? We get to complete O'Malley's move today. So we're going to refresh our memories here with part one. We'll see you on the other side.
welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This is our last episode playing $2, $3 No Limit Hold'em at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. At this point, we've built our stack up to 500 from 300 and currently sit under the gun. We look down at the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. Perfect. We raise to our standard under the gun total of $20. We get four callers, including the button. This guy has already burned through two $200 buy-ins and is currently on his third. He started the hand with around $195. He's pleasant enough, but is a very weak poker player. There's already more than $100 in the pot, and the flop brings mixed emotions. We see a queen in the door, but it comes down the ace of diamonds, king of clubs, queen of spades. But still, we're only losing to aces, kings, and jack ten, so we're going to lead out for $75. Everyone folds, except the button, who calls, leaving him just under 100. The pot is around 250, and the turn is the five of spades. The button quickly shoves out of turn. After the dealer informs him the action is on me, I have a decision to make here. He only has 100. What's the move? All right, I'm calling. Uh, I won't be shocked if he turns over Jack 10. I won't, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but that's the only hand that I'm worried about. Uh, but as this player has been described, he could easily be overvaluing ace-king, ace-queen, or king-queen here. And our call closes out the betting, so I'm willing to take the small gamble here. And I do think it's a small gamble. Uh, I remember writing down what Scott said. Uh, <laughs> the pot is way too big to fold for 100 bucks, And we're basically only trailing one hand since probably ace-ace and king were very unlikely here. Uh, and if we are trailing, we have outs just in case to beat the straight. So let's uh, see what happens. Hello again. This out-of-turn shove would give me more pause if this player was more savvy. Could it be a flush draw trying to induce a check? It could. Could it be Jack-10 finally springing the trap? Maybe. But after playing with this guy for a few hours today, I'm thinking he turned two pair and got overly excited. He could also have something like Ace of Spades, X of Spades, or King of Spades, X of Spades, maybe even like a Queen-Jack or Queen-10. Either way, I think we're way ahead of his range. In fact, I'd be shocked to find out we're behind. We shove, he calls. We turn over our queens, and he tables the ace of spades, jack of hearts. After the eight of spades hits the river, we scoop the pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, you know, it's so nice when it happens good. These were two very profitable sessions for me. Thanks, Vic G, for the tip. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, I think it's just another reminder how important it is to really study all your opponents at the table because uh, I don't think we would have made this play against a different type of player, would we? No, and and also it's important to replay your hands in your head from the beginning to see what makes sense and what doesn't, and this this was a great great play, and we win. I love it when he wins because then he'll keep wanting to do the move for us. Yeah, it's like we like when O'Malley wins and when we like Vic to lose, right? <laughs> we don't like Vic to lose. We're just shocked by it. <laughs> I don't like it. I like it when you lose. Oh, thank you. All right, very good. It's a much better right. show when you're enough, when you're losing, whining about your Omaha hands. <laughs> All right, sign with the advancedpokertraining dot com. Hand of the week. Send your hands or situations podcast at antietmagazine dot com. Yeah, want something from us in the past year? You'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Adam Borg going back. We told you last week. We foreshadowed this hand of the week. So if you remember that, you know, from all the way one week ago when you were confined to a dark room with nothing but food and water and vitamins and any podcast on loop <laughs> that would actually make it worse wouldn't yeah it? that would get them out of the room in like an hour and a half <laughs> i can handle the darkness of the lack of human community but i cannot hear scott and chris anymore 
All right, so uh, this uh, Adam says a quick situation from a tournament he played in um, at the uh, MGM Springfield. It was a $100 buy-in tournament. Uh, and if you remember last week, uh, you started with 10000 in chips. And if you do the dealer add-on for $10, you get an extra 5000 in chips. Um, he says uh, late Reg uh, runs to the end of level six. Blinds are at 5100 in levels last. Oh, uh, blinds started at 5100 levels last 20 minutes. Um, and so this is at the end of level one, so it is in 5100. Okay. Uh, tables ain't handed, and he says, I have no reliable le- reads yet, so I'm playing ABC poker. Uh, blinds post are two callers when we look down on the cutoff at two red eights. Go for it. Um, it's interesting. I tend to want to raise. When I'm the when no one has raised yet and it's gotten to me, and if I'm in the cutoff, that means I'll probably get control of the hand if I do raise. Um, and I've got a mate hand. Uh, I I think that uh, I'll probably just make it. What do you say? The blind started at fifteen hundred. That's where we are right now. Is that early? In the term? Um. <clears throat> so let's see. There's a limper, two limper, two callers. You said so. Yep. Normally, I'd make it three hundred, and they called. Four hundred five, so I make it between four and five hundred now because I got a couple of callers too. So probably around that five five hundred. Yeah, I always do the two X plus the extra blind, so I'm going to go four fifty here. Um, okay. You know, uh, later in a tournament, I'd probably set my a little bit with this, but this early on now that it's it's you know we, we can do the raise and try to control the situation a little bit better and and not just um, have a little bit more power than a set mining hand here. So particularly with our position, right? So well, here's the other thing, I. I I, it's interesting you said that because at this point, I would I don't know how these players play, but later on when you say if I do know how they play later on, then I'm playing the players and not the cards so much. So I don't know if I would set mine. I think I still would raise when I know the weaker players are in the hand or who's you know what I mean. I would know better how they play and I would probably be even more encouraged to raise later on with eight eight than to set mine with them. You know, I, it's interesting you said that. Yeah. Okay. Just thinking. Um, well, the other thing too is this early in a tournament, uh, people don't value their chips as much as they do later too, right? So and you're sitting with fifteen thousand in front of you, and someone raises a four or fifty, you're probably going to get, you're not going to thin the field that, that much. You probably you could get the, the the players that haven't acted behind you yet will probably more likely get out when you raise, but. There's two limpers I would I would expect would probably call this early in the tournament, right? I don't know. It's another thing I'm disagreeing with you on. This is great. I think when you first sit down at a tournament, you don't know what you're doing. You're gonna really want to just play some quality hands if you're not comfortable yet, and you're not gonna and you're gonna value those chips because you have so few right now. Later on, when you have a million chips and the blinds are one thousand, two thousand, we have fifteen thousand right now at fifty one hundred. So yeah, I know, but it's early okay. on. You don't want to waste those chips early on. Oh, I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying it's a proper strategy. What I'm saying is I've uh, I've witnessed this that early on, you know, I, you hear the okay, all right, I'll see one flop and throw in the extra three fifty there because it it doesn't mean much when later when the blinds are, you know, five hundred a thousand and they're seeing with ten thousand. <laughs> yeah. Now they're not going to like you know call that raise unless they really feel like they have a hand. So. All right. Um, our hero raises the four fifty. There you go. My tournament raises in early stages resemble Negrano's low ball strategy where I open for 2.5x and add a blind for every limper. Button calls and everyone else folds. All right, so look at that. Just wasted <laughs> half an hour of the show here. That's basically all you've been doing the whole show. 
<laughs> and that's also uh, Jonathan Little's strategy too, right? The two and a half X. Yeah, that's where I, you got I, it from. I don't know who actually really claimed it, but you know everybody does it now. So yeah. but, I'm just right, dropping so. names. That's all. That's what I do. <laughs> all right, the pot is uh, one thousand two hundred fifty. Flop comes tray of clubs, eight of clubs, tray of diamonds. Bingo, bango, bongo. Adam says. Mm. Must and be nice. uh, we are first to act. Well, you're not going to bet now. I mean, it's it's going to be. I mean, it, here's the thing: it's fishy if you don't bet. I think that's the point. Yeah, I, I, that's what I would say. I mean, you don't want to bet here because you just crushed the the board, right? And you want somebody to catch up. But yeah, you know, you raised pre flop, and now you're going to act. I mean, there's there's nothing about this flop that should be scary to you, right? Yeah, I, I you know, only hand is pocket threes, and there's no way you're worried about that. So. Yeah, no, I don't know. Think about the normal hands that you would raise with, um, particularly a couple of limpers. You're thinking ace-king, ace-queen, uh, aces-kings, queens, jacks, tens, any kind of pairs, right? All those hands love this flop, right? Yeah. Because you, the button's probably not going to be sticking around with the tray, and and we know we have two eights now, so it's unlikely he has an eight, but it doesn't matter. At this point, you know, if we have a pair, now we've, we've just flopped two pair, which makes it, you know... Um, we have less worry of somebody like running out on us on two pair later on. So I, you know, I, I think a lot of people are going to make a mistake and check here. And I think you have to bet here. Yeah. The only thing that, it, it, again, if it was later in the tournament, so we always have to cover all the situations here because right now this is early. He's playing ABC and he doesn't know how they play. Um, but you might want to, some people might check here to make it think you had ace king, you missed a flop. You didn't like having a call or you have somebody in position. Now you're nervous because he's the button. You check to the button, and the button will try to steal it, and then you get some money out of him at least. Um, but if you knew the button was the type of guy that didn't believe you no matter what came on the flop and was going to raise you no matter what, then you'd bet out. Or if it's somebody you think would call and try to float you and steal it on the turn, then you'd, you'd bet out and then check the turn and let him try to steal it. So there's a lot of thinking involved. But since he doesn't really know them, yeah, I mean, you could you could bet out, but you're going to – as soon as you bet and they fold – you're going to kick yourself and say, why didn't I check? So checking well, doesn't hurt you here. If, they, if you bet and they fold, I mean, they don't have any kind of hand that they felt had a chance of even catching up, right? I would. Well, think. I mean, if they have an ace in their hand, they turn an ace, they catch up. Well, yeah, but that, I would think that that hand would call here. You think if you had ace 10 and you yep. bet out pot, this guy's going to call with ace 10? Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. You're you're raising preflop. You're betting any flop, and you think they're going to call? Only they're going to float you. Can't think this flop hit us either. I mean, this is not a flop that hits anybody that's in a raised pot, right? So, so this is one of the reasons I I really like betting out now. It's because the proper play for the button would should be to raise us now, and to say, hey, there's no way that flop hits you. I'm going to raise you, and if you have ace king, ace queen, ace ten, like you just mentioned, now you can't really call that raise, can you? So. The proper play here would be for that button to raise here, and that's exactly what we'd want here, and that's not going to happen if we he check. So you don't think the same exact thing would happen if you check? He's going to say, yep, I knew you missed, now I'm going to steal it and bet? Right, that but then we different? get more money out of him because we, we bet. Now he's going to have to raise more than he's going to bet. Okay, yeah, well, you can also scare him away. I think that's one of those coin flip things, or if you don't know the player well enough, you know, this way you're insured money. If you check, you might check behind. You know what I mean? And then you've lost a street of betting. It's an interesting thing. You could bet, and then he bets behind. I don't know. It, I mean, really, the only hand that's going to catch up that we're going to get action out of, I think, is clubs. And a club isn't going to go away here if we bet because, again, he can't. he's not going to put us on a boat here. 
Um, so clubs are going to stick around, and that's fine. And then, I mean, I'm just trying to build money now before the player hits the hand. Yeah. I feel like I might check in this moment. Not, I know it's the probably the wrong thing to do because you let out, or you uh, raise preflops, so you're supposed to bet here, and when you don't, people think it's fishy. But there are a lot of people also who are scared of a person behind them calling and then you know they they had a good enough hand to call my raise even though and now they're on the button they have position you know maybe they have it or maybe they're testing me i don't know so maybe you check because you think this guy thinks you're not a quality player and you know he's gonna bet so then you call and then check again let him call and then you bet on the river all right so let me, let me ask you this so if you check here are, is your intention to check raise or just to call check call no i don't then, think i check raise i think i call because if i check raise then i've told him what exactly. i have all right, that's good. Yeah. All right, good. We agree on that. Okay, good. All right, I'm betting you're checking. All right. Uh, Adam agrees with you this time. He checks. Uh, button bets out 650 huh. and back to us. Yeah, there you go. So I think it's a call. I mean, I, we just talked about it. So uh, if you do raise, you're telling him, ha-ha, I have a three or an eight, or I have a hand over eights and – you know, the only way a check raise works there is if this guy actually has an ace tray in his hand. You know, some suited ace tray. That's why you call the raise. You know, um, so it, it, to, to check raise now is ridiculous. I think we just check again to next street, no matter what. We're hoping for a club. And uh, so here, here's the whole problem with this. I think now, sorry. So I agree. We just call here and mm-hmm. then we check the turn, right? And now, if he was just probing there, he's going to check behind on the turn. And so we're going to lose a street of value with his hand. Well, if he was probing, we're not losing a street of value because he wouldn't have called your bet on the turn if you bet. So if he's probing, he's not calling anyway. So how could you lose a street? At least now on the river, he might catch up with his flush. You know, mm-hmm. or a turn. If he's yeah. probing, you know, let's say he's probing with a big ace in his hand, like an ace of clubs. And then he's probing. We don't. He doesn't get there. The turn's a club. Now he's like, oh, now I'm going to stick around. Now you don't lose a street of betting. And if he if he doesn't come a club, well, now you bet you miss him anyway. So no matter what, a probing bet isn't calling a bet on the turn unless he catches up somehow. All right, good point. Good point. <clears throat> I think mm-hmm. uh, I think we're we're doing the right thing. I think we're setting a trap for this guy. All right, all right. Uh, Adam calls and he says at this point I'm guessing he is either betting an overpay or maybe a flush draw, and I'm praying for another club to come. Pot is twenty five fifty. Turn is the king of clubs, so our board is tray of clubs, eight of clubs, tray of diamonds, king of clubs, and it's on us again, of course. Well, that's a great card for us, I think. I don't think this guy has king king, because I think he would have re-raised pre-flop. Um, so I think that's a great card for us. This guy has a random club in his hand, or if he had clubs at all, he might have bet the clubs. King, really. Yeah, and then if he has ace-king, which is what you said they would automatically do was call if we bet with ace-king here, so... You know, now he's hit the king. He could have had king queen. He could have ace king. Could have had king jack. He could have had two clubs. So we love this card. Um, and now I think we check again. Yeah, I think you got to check here and now. Now we'll find out whether he actually has a hand, right? Because if he has any of those hands we just talked about, he's going to keep the pressure on, yeah. which is fantastic, right? Yeah, if he exactly checks behind, behind, then he doesn't have any of that, and we're probably not going to get much more out of him. Yeah, the only thing we don't want to see now is a king on the river. That's the only card we don't want to see now. I don't, I don't think there's any other card that we're worried about. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Harry says, uh, still good. Hoping he doesn't have kings, although I'm guessing he would have three-bet me preflop. I'm sure he would have. Yeah. Um, I check again because I see no reason to scare him off. He bets 1,200. Yeah, I think I'll call one more time. I think I think uh, raising here is a 
is interesting because then it looks like we're representing a flush. And then if we do that, we might scare him. What if he had just a naked ace king with no ace of clubs? Then he's like, oh, this guy got the flush. You might scare him. Or he might have said, oh, he slow played me at, you know, three threes, you know, or something. So <clears throat> I think he, he might want to just call one more street and then bet the river and try to get a value out of it. All right. So, yeah, I think you're right. You got to think about what your next play is because you're going to close out the the action here by calling. So I think before we even do that, we got to decide what our our river bet's going to be, right? Yeah, well, you got to figure out how much here, the pot's going to be. be roughly five thousand. Yeah. So, I don't know, two thousand. Yeah, but uh, yeah, about a yeah. I don't think it could be much more than that. No, about a third of the pot, I guess. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe over a little more. Get get, get called, but we don't know that because it's too early in the tournament to to know. Yeah, yeah, you might bet a little more in case. Well, it depends what the river is too. If the river's a club, then you're like, wow, this guy could have any easily have a flush now and get some value out of it. So maybe you bet a little more, you know. I don't know. It just depends on what the river is, to be honest. Hmm. I actually think if another club comes, I might check the river because I think there's probably a better chance that he's going to bet now. Well, if he's got the ace of clubs and we bet, here's the deal. If a club comes and he has the ace of clubs, then you can bet knowing he's going to Well, he'll he'll definitely bet then. I'm wondering, though, if he doesn't have any clubs, right? So he, he bet here to see where we are. We call... Now he's a little scared. Now another club comes, and then we check. That would indicate to me as the button perhaps that we had a smaller flush, and now that extra card came, and now I'm worried about us having just a single club that's bigger, right? And that would probably trigger me to bet there. Here's the deal, and I I know this because it goes through my head. A lot of people, when they see that fourth club, if they don't have a club – and there's someone to act before them, in their head, they're saying, please don't bet, 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 because they don't, and they want to check. They want to check. They want to just check it down and say, here, I've got my kings and threes, and and hope it's winning, winning hand, versus uh, do I really want to make some sort of bet here, bluff at this, and then the guy turns over because he just can't fold with his jack of clubs in his hand. You know, I think that if, if a club comes, we have to bet it. We can't check. I think we have to bet it and hope he has the ace of clubs. I think we probably would. I just thought it was interesting that maybe we might be able to induce in one more bet there. But we'll see. This is wow. This we, is like one of the most contrarian, <laughs> contrarian hands of the week we've had in a while. <laughs> we've like disagreed on just about everything. <laughs> this is great. Uh, all right, our hero says I thought about a raise, but I decided if he's got a small pair, I might scare him off. And if he has kings, which I believe to be light and likely, he may jam a stack. I just call. Pot is forty nine fifty. River is the five of clubs, or final board tray of clubs, eight of clubs, tray of diamonds, king of clubs, five of clubs. Wow! And it's our last chance here, and we already decided we're going to bet, right? So. Yeah, I, I have to bet. Um, probably. Let's see. So the pot's about five grand. So I would say I'd probably bet half the pot. So that's what twenty five hundred, maybe. Yep. That's about the right size because if the guy's got the ace of clubs, he's going to shove on you, and you're loving that. Or he may shove on you, I don't know. Um, and if he has any old club, he'll probably just call. And if he has no club, he's going to fold. And he, he would he wouldn't. I don't think he would have bet at it with no club because you've come along the whole way and you raised preflop. Um, we're just hoping he has an ace of clubs in his hand. Like he called the raise preflop with ace jack of clubs or something, and it got there. Or ace jack with the ace of clubs, or, you know, or something like that. Ace queen, um, or even ace king, like we said. But I think he. 
Yeah, I don't know. He might have the ace of clubs with the king in his hand. So, you know, that's what you're hoping for here. You're hoping he has the ace of clubs, and you're going to bet he's going to raise you. But you have to bet, because if you don't bet, and he doesn't have a club, you can check behind, you lost value, I think. I think you have to bet with a full house here. So, okay. 2,500 or so, because that's the problem. Yeah, I was thinking 2000 because I want to try to get as much value, but twenty probably not much difference between that and 2500 yeah. So somewhere in that range sounds That's good. That's a good idea. Uh, all right. Uh, Hero says, a dream for me if he's holding just one club. I decided to underbet in the hopes that he would put in a small raise and I could safely call. I bet 2000 and he instantly just calls. We turn over boat, and he turns over the nine of clubs, ten of clubs. Ooh. So he had the flush on the, the flush turn. On the turn. Yeah, so that he, he must have hated seeing that five of clubs. That's why he just called. If now it turns out the five of clubs is a bad card for us. He called it a dream card, but really, right. if it was like a deuce of hearts. We would have got a lot more money. We would have got a lot more money out of the guy. <clears throat> we would have bet. Yeah. He would have raised. And, uh. So Adam says, "I'm wondering if I let value go here. I was fairly confident his range was flushes. If he had bet thirty five, if I had bet thirty five hundred, my guess he still would have called." Regardless of the nice big pot to take down early, the next level I won a couple of moderate-sized pots and was in a decent, decent position early. Unfortunately, over the next two hours, I had a demoralizing run of cards. I was slowly blinded down to a shoving stack. I got my 19 bigs in with King Queen offsuit. Got called by King 8, and they hit a flush. Oh, ouch. Uh, I wrapped the table, hit the craps table, and walked out even on the day. <laughs> you get a yeah, sounds like Scott Long. <laughs> Scott always did that. We, I remember the last time we did it together it was Atlantic City. We're at Harrah's or something, and I'm playing cash games, and you're going bust. And I'm like, all right, see you later. You're like, all right, comes back. What happened? I just want all my money back in uh, blackjack. And I'm like, oh, all right. So it's what you do. You guys do that. You you degens. You lose your money in poker, and you go win it at something else. (laughs) Hey, the opportunity's there, right? Uh, So what I wanted to say was um, he said earlier – he guesses that if he had bet 3500 he would have got called. I don't believe that. Here's what I think. If this player has any kind of ability and can actually go and listen to the story you told, pre-flop, you raised. Okay? So what hands do that with? Okay, so aces, kings, queens, whatever. But also ace-king, right? So now you raise with ace of clubs, king of hearts. Flop comes, two clubs, two overs. You did your duty, but now you checked because you missed. He bet, but you have the two overs, and you have the backdoor clubs. So you call because you were the one that took control of his hand. You want to make sure this guy's not just trying to steal it, so you call. Now the turn comes. You check. What would an ace-king do there? Probably would check because the other person took a chance and tried to steal it from you. Now you want to try to steal it again. Now you've hit your king, and you've got the nut flush draw. You check. He bets twelve hundred. You call. Now you bet out when another club comes and you raise free flop. You've told a story that you have a big hand. We don't know that it's eight eight, and it's consistent with ace king with the ace of clubs. So this guy doesn't have the ace of clubs. And now you wake up and bet thirty five hundred. He might just say, "Damn it!" You know, I had the flush on the turn, and now you got there with your ace of clubs, and he shows his nine ten folds. I don't think that thirty five hundred automatically gets you a call just because he insta called. You know, he was happy with that two thousand bet that he could say, "Hey, maybe my yeah, ten so, is still yeah, good." Part of me was wondering if we got lucky with the two thousand. Yeah, like, I think so too. Because you know, I mean, this is a, a lot of posi- problems with being out of position, right? And one of them is when you have a big hand, it's hard to get the right value out of it. So, um, so you know, when, when you have somebody that's check raised pre flop and then check calling all the way down and then comes alive on the river, right? You know, now you have to look at what what they're coming alive with here, and it's got to be either a one card flush, 
maybe a two card flush um, or the boat, right? Yeah. And at that point, if I'm sitting there with nine of clubs, ten of clubs, I don't like any of those scenarios, right? Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, you know, I mean, the king of clubs is on the board, so I mean, but but if we had the jack, queen, or ace, we just caught up and beat them. Um, if we were slow playing the whole way like we were, okay, we already beat and. You know, there's nothing to say that they didn't. We didn't have uh, the ace, queen, or jack with one of the other clubs this yeah. whole way. Yeah, and had us beat. So I think you're actually probably really lucky to even get that two thousand out of him on the end there. I think that was probably a weak call on his part. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know what his stack was, so I mean, maybe he won a couple of pots before and he felt a little obligated to call there or something, but. It was early in the tournament, so it's really like two and a half on his money at that point. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> you're calling that two thousand when you think there's little chance of winning, and your result, if you're wrong, and your assessment is just five thousand, or I guess seven thousand at that point because yeah. you had the two thousand. So I don't know. Um, so I guess it's a little bit more than two and a half on your money, three three money. Uh, but still, I mean, I, it, it's hard to imagine him thinking that you have a hand that he can beat at that point. Yeah, you know, and the other thing too is, I mean, from the opponent's standpoint, everybody goes through this. You make the flush on the turn, and you just can't let it go that another club came on the river, yep. and you just want to say, "I want to show my flush." That I, you know, what I mean, some people just they just get that way. They forget the moment. They forget where they are, and they think, I, "I've got a ten high flush here, and I already had the flush. So I'm going to show it that I." You know, and of course he would have found out that he was trailing the entire hand from the beginning to the end. He never once was ahead in his hand, but uh, still, you got that. I don't know if it's pride or if it's you know you get blinded. Well, it's kind of that bad beat syndrome, right? Yeah. Where you, you know, misery likes company, so you you want to be able to turn that hand over and go, oh my gosh, look, I had him, and oh my gosh, oh I didn't have him. All right, but but you at that point you got to think that you're beat, so you just want to show, hey, I already had it. How many times you've sit at the table, and someone says, I had it on the turn. Yeah. Exactly. Nice river. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is a nice river because you just gave me a bunch of money for no reason. <laughs> Very nice river. Thank you. Uh, Adam, I would say that you got the max value out of this hand probably from beginning to end, really. Um, yeah, I'm again, wondering if, if I'm trying to – I don't want to spend too much time going back over it had we played a little bit differently because I would have bet the flop, flop, but I would have bet with the button bet out. So, And he's probably going to call that because he's got clubs, right? So. Right. That that's a wash there. The turn now. If I'm betting out again, I, I probably wouldn't bet the turn now because the flush got there. So I would check the show weakness, right? And right. then now he's got a flush, so he would probably bet the same amount, the twelve hundred that he bet, right? Yeah. So you're probably getting the same amount of money no matter what happens. The river, I would have to bet. I would have to lead the action. So yeah, it all worked out about the same. I think. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Big waste of time on the show. <laughs> again, you've done that to us today. It's a theme. I'll put that in the recap. Wasted time. Well, we still have a little bit of time left. I just want to remind everyone that uh, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Annie Up in your home area, you can apply at AnnieUpMagazine.com slash ambassadors because we have an immediate opening in Michigan. Hey, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Auntie Up is a production of AntieUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. 
If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>